computer. This is data. I'm an android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. One of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, aka Cranges Make Basketball. And Tim, we have officially we are recording this on Wednesday afternoon before the Kings game. So we are officially at the half point of this Lakers season. Um, they are 21 and 20. It's about as 500 as you can get at this point. And uh, the fundamentals, you know, per clean the glass, got 109.3 points per possession on offense, 110.7 points per possession on defense. Um, I don't know. I could give you more fundamentals, but really I just want to ask you, like, what the hell is this team right now, Tim? It's disappointing. <laughs> it's frustrating. But at the same time, it's not too far off from where it needs to be. And like, I feel like you can spin this team a lot of different ways because like from their, their, their luck adjusted team efficiencies right now, they're 11th overall, 10th on offense, 13th on defense. And over the past month, they've been like a top five offensive team in the luck adjusted data. And that's been without Anthony Davis and their defense hasn't been all that. Their defense has also been pretty good. And again, without Anthony Davis. So it's, they've been getting better and better and they're only a game in the win column out of fifth place right now. But at the same time, I feel like living it day by day is agonizing because it feels like right now they're beating the bad teams and they can't beat the good teams. And the things that are that things that are noise about specific players are just it feels like they're just multiplying and, and like these guys are doubling down on the things we don't like about them. And specifically with Russell Westbrook, it's just been a really frustrating past couple of weeks. So I'm I, I should feel better than I do right now. <laughs> if I if if I had like been on a long vacation and came back and you told me the situation, you're like, oh, 80's been out for this long. LeBron missed this much time, uh, you know, this and that and that. I wouldn't feel too bad right now. And I think that's good perspective, but living through it every single game, every quarter, it's, it's just not as enjoyable right now as it has been in the past. No, it's not. And we're talking after the Lakers have gone, what they've won five of their last eight. Uh, You know, they've, they beat Houston, lost to Memphis, beat Portland, beat Minnesota, beat Sacramento, beat Atlanta, and lost to Memphis on Sunday. It doesn't, I don't know. It's looking better, but, um, you know, Russ has been pretty bad this last week or two. Uh, THT has come on. Uh, Monk is, you know, obviously doing awesome things, and it would be great to figure out how we can keep him on a reasonable deal. He might be looking for a lot more than what the Lakers could offer, but I mean, it's, it's a lot of times it's one step forward, two steps back, two steps forward, one step back. And ultimately you're right in the middle of 500, right? You know, looking at this team's wins, Tim, how many teams over 500 do you think the Lakers have beaten this season? Jeez. Uh, Oh geez, they have they have twenty one wins. 
I'll say like seven. Um, I think it's actually five. And I'll try and list them here for Ooh. you, okay? Oh, wow. Uh, Memphis, the beginning of the season. That third game of the year after the Golden State Phoenix losses. Cleveland, okay. which in retrospect looks like an even better win <laughs> than it did at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Charlotte, three-point win on November 8th. Miami, a couple days later, which was actually a good grind-out victory against a good team. They had some opportunities toward the end, but the Lakers actually played pretty well that game. All right, what else? Dallas. And I think that's it. So I guess, yeah, maybe four. I don't know. I lost count. My point being, yes, everyone's made a big deal about their soft schedule. So it's hard to beat over 500 teams if you're not playing them. However, of the 20 something wins, um, you know, they're not winning a lot of these games and maybe they'll lose to Brooklyn by seven. It was kind of a close ish game, but no, they'll, they'll rally in the fourth to make some of these games look a lot closer than they are. But as of right now, they're just not consistently playing any kind of playoff basketball. And if we were to face someone like the Grizzlies in the playoffs, I think the Lakers would lose in six. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. I don't think anyone wants to play the Lakers. And I think the assumption here would be that they're playing the Lakers healthy. And if we look at this Lakers schedule with the Lakers healthy, it looks a bit different. A lot of those wins that you listed off, Cleveland, Miami, Dallas, the other ones I'm forgetting, uh, AD was playing in those games, or at least the ones I was just really quickly pulling the box scores for. And AD was putting up... 2010 and five or or whatever it happened to be in a lot of those games. So that's something like, that's a big piece of this team that if we're projecting towards the playoffs and and how the Lakers match up, that's a huge piece of this. And the Lakers, when they've looked good, even back then when they weren't really running great scheme, that included their, you know, their second best player in there. And, And I think we've seen how big of a gap there is between the Lakers second and third best player. Over, over these past couple of weeks. So that's, I, I'm feeling better even talking through this now just because I know like, all right, well, we've got LeBron and AD. Like this, this should be better as soon as Anthony Davis gets back. So I feel a little bit better about that. I don't necessarily think that like the team is playing championship basketball, especially on the defensive end. But again, it's how have they looked when they have like the pieces in there that works, you know, that we're having these playoff discussions under the like constraints of, because if, if we're talking about this team in, against Memphis in the playoffs without AD, like with its current group, like I think they'll lose in, in five yeah. games probably. Yeah. But with, with AD, I, I think the Lakers can certainly beat that team. Although I've, you know, Memphis is, oh, yeah. Memphis is really good. Memphis is like, they're winning like 60, 70% of their games against above 500 teams. So I don't think that would be an easy series at all. I, I think all four of the top teams in the West right now in the standings are like legit, pretty good basketball teams. And they have flaws and they're, we can dig into how the Lakers match up with specific ones and how, you know, we may have certain advantages, but they, these are some legit teams. So I, I don't feel great about matching up against 
any of them. There's no like clear like, oh, this team is just a fraud. And and I would love to face up with them in like the the three. What would that be? The three six or the two seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we're seeing that every time the Lakers play these. Teams. Okay, so let me ask you this. I kind of asked you this last week too, but I, this is the question still that remains. Part of the Lakers' successes over the last couple of weeks have come in response to Anthony Davis being out. So LeBron moves to the center position, and we've been playing this really small stretch to the floor lineups where effectively Russ, is, a lot of times, is the only non-spacer. How do they keep this um, system structure, like uh, same path to success, when LeBron has to slide back to the four next to Anthony Davis. Now we did talk about, you know, using those lineups in the ADs on the bench time gives you a nice feather in your cap to be able to just outscore teams for that, you know, 12 to 15 minutes AD is resting each game. But long-term we need to see that the AD in these lineups and how do we on an offensive end, you know, just not go back to that ISO ball and, and keep him engaged and, and a part of this same philosophy, I guess, that we've seen the Lakers find some successes. I'm not as worried about like with AD coming back. Like I think AD, I'll be, I think he'll be fine. I think the real challenge comes with thinking about how the group now has had success and why LeBron at center is working. And it's not working because of defense versus certain teams. It works. Versus other teams, it, it doesn't work and it isn't the right answer. And it's like having a, a tool chest of like one tool. Like I just, we just got a house recently for for Christmas. We were given, you know, a, a big toolkit. It's got all these different things in it. And for the first time in my life, I'm having to like fix things and like build things. And it sucks. Time is awful. And just be um, handy, man. But the, yeah, and it, not quite. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining like the Lakers right now they have like a really good screwdriver and it's going to be a great defense to use against certain offenses where they're very switchy and they don't really have to be the biggest from a rebounding standpoint or a post defense standpoint, or there are certain inherent weaknesses to the way that they're playing that they don't need to worry about just based on who they're playing. And some games it's going to look great. Some games it's going to look awful just based on those matchups. Whereas once they have AD back, He's very good defensively. I don't think he's someone we need to talk about as being like a challenge. Like I, I, there's no hesitation in me that he will help this team big picture perform. Uh, and defensively, it should be a big boost. And that allows you to still keep that screwdriver that you've been using and have that in your, in your toolkit for the playoffs. If you do need, do need to pull that out for longer stretches, while at the same time having AD in there and you can run different types of screen coverages that LeBron, he's not going to be the best at just based on who he is and what he does well and doesn't do well. So big picture, I think it's good that they've gotten this experience and moving forward, hopefully with AD back, hopefully healthy, they'll have this as an option, but also have that to improve the defense. Then offensively, to answer your question, the the tricky part becomes integrating another non-shooter for all intents and purposes to a group that has Russell Westbrook playing big minutes, who is another guy that we're not seeing be a very good three-point shooter this year and hasn't quite been for his career. So that is the really tricky part and where I think staggering minutes is going to be really important and where I think the two-man groupings of those three stars filling up more of the minutes rotation 
like over 240 minutes is going to be more of the value add than it will be getting the three of these guys together on the court just based on that space sure. factor. And it's going to be LeBron and AD or LeBron and Russ. Russ, AD, you need a lot of spacing around and all three of them together. I mean, LeBron's not a negative space or anything. So it, it should, it'll still work. But I think the, you know, bringing AD back, it's going to hurt the offense a little bit, I think, for like your starting group. And I think that's fine because the defense is going to see a big boost. So I'm not the most worried about that. I think the scheme should be okay. Like you're still going to post up. The team's better at countering post-help. And we saw last year when the Lakers were countering post-help from the tracking I did and looking at like every single post-up, even when AD was the postman, the Lakers were kicking butt when they were countering post-help with those with cutting the right ways or setting the pin and flare screens at the right times. So he can operate within that. He doesn't look like a good post-playmaker when everybody's standing around and he gets double-teamed. And that's, I think, what we saw earlier in the season. We moved away from right before he got injured. And that portion right there, I think, is what it's easy to forget is like, no, he actually looked pretty good within this, just not for all that long because he got hurt pretty soon after. So I, I think he'll fit in with that fine. And and like, he's a great finisher. He's going to be a good role man. As long as he's not spotting up or popping, I think AD's going to fit really well. And within what the Lakers are doing, since there's so much more screening involved and cutting involved, he fits within that and that's no problem. And like they can slide him into the dunker spot pretty easily and stick Russ setting on ball screens. And there's a lot of combos of what they can do that should work. It's just going to be about the play calling mm. as it has been for the past couple of weeks. It's just the, the, the bar for the play calling gets a little bit higher when you add in one more additional non-shooter. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's part of where it becomes tricky. I mean, I'm confident that, you know, AD's defense is going to get them a lot of points in transition and get them, playing their game, get them going up and down. So it, you know, it feeds into both sides of the ball, but it's really that offensive end of the floor where how can they be efficient with Russ and AD um, giving Braun opportunities to roll, you know, is, is AD's his shot can't be come back and be much worse. I mean, it really can, but knock on wood, it doesn't. Um, here's, it, should it shouldn't be. be. Like he's been bad. He's been bad in the past, but like he's been especially right. bad this year. Like his three point shooting isn't normally quite right. this bad. So, so it's we've seen. I think the worst of AD. So, I guess my follow up question, uh, and I kind of want to maybe transition into this guy after, um, is what does Stanley Johnson's role look like on this team when AD comes back? Do you think? playing Stanley, LeBron, and AD is the move. Um, I think, you know, we were talking a little bit before we came on about a good starting lineup when AD comes back that I think we're both like is AD, Braun, Reeves, Monk, and Russ. Um, and I was saying it gives Austin Reeves a chance to slide down, which I think he's a little bit uh, better suited than sliding up as far as maybe guarding a point of attack person. Um, while Russ moves to a chaser role or something off ball and, you know, Monk, mm -hmm. who's not a great defender, but he's definitely improved, been better than I was expecting. Um, you know, and so I like that lineup given that Austin Reeves can stretch the floor and hit some threes, but is there a world where you could see Stanley Johnson sliding in uh, and maybe pushing LeBron to the three and allowing him to be a little bit more of a help defender? 
I think the spacing challenges that you'd get by having AD and Russ and Johnson together make that really, really tough to do. I don't, I don't think there'd be enough value add. But if it were to happen, I think the world in which that would make sense would be the other team is a really good like scoring wing. Like let's say you're playing a Kawhi Leonard and you don't want Malik Monk who's playing that like small forward kind of helper position while bronze at the power forward also able to be a perimeter big doing what he does well. That can work when the other team doesn't have a good scoring wing. When they do have a good scoring wing and you don't want Malik Monk on ball and you don't want to you know, slide Russ down to guard a scoring wing. That's when you need to make a lineup change. And that's where like Bazemore, who I was, I know it was a bold prediction. It wasn't like, this is exactly what I expect, but it did not work out well where I was saying he'd be fourth in minutes. Him being a non-factor for this team matters in this way uh, because the team doesn't have all that many wings. So it's Johnson or Ariza are two of the guys that you you really consider sliding into the starting lineup if you need to be playing against a team that has that kind of scoring wing. And, and Ariza doesn't look like he's able to take on a ton yeah. of minutes right now. I don't know if he's going to get to that point. But between him and Johnson, and, and Ariza's a better shooter than Johnson, but if you can get enough shooting from them where the offense can still work and defensively you're able to slow down a wing score. Like, I think that would be the thought process for the Lakers. Whereas I don't know, like from my perspective, if the shooting isn't there with them, I'd almost rather live with my defense being worse and just lean offense and, and just say, no matter what, we are going to keep good spacing with our, with our three best players and we're going to outscore yeah. you. Cause I'd rather have them, be out there and have our stars on offense looking like stars and then defensively be struggling compared to having everything we do offensively be mucked up to defensively have Stanley Johnson on Kawhi Leonard instead of Austin right. Reeves, you know, or Malik Monk. So that, I think that's the, the, the trade-off. It, it's like, it will be worse defensively to, to stick with the group we were talking about earlier, but big picture, it might be better. But if there's a world where that happens, I think it's a matchup based thing come playoff yeah. time. So yeah, like to your point, Stanley only played in seven games so far. He had that little break between 10 day contracts. He has not yet been signed for the full season. Um, I think that he <laughs> will be, I think he deserves that shot. Yeah. He's offers something that's hard to find and God damn, it's hard to watch Wes Matthews make big shots for the Bucks right now. Um, and and he uh-huh. has a big rate on defense. Stanley Johnson's gonna be like, yeah, like he, he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna get signed for the rest of the year. It's just right now they're they're waiting out to right. see what they could do from a trade standpoint. It's a flexible. So player. I know this is again very small sample, seven games. But if you want, I'm curious if you have any information on his shot quality because I'm in cleaning the glass right now and I found this hilarious and I want to share it with you. They have. Yeah. So, so work on his shot quality if you can. I know it's so small, so it might not have data enough data, but um, so this is hilarious to me. Cleaning glass has something called points per shot attempts, right? Total points scored per hundred shot attempts, field goal attempts, trips to the line, including when fouled in the bonus. Mm-hmm. We yeah, I'm gonna. I'm just. I know. I I got a new computer. I don't have my login info. <laughs> Tom, for I run you. the data company. I like to, Tom's up here, like bringing up competitors. Every literally, month. because it's, it's you fine. have your know, thing. And go you're going to pull off of that. So I'm going to find someone else. It's and at least it gives you a, something to, to riff off of. But check this out. Okay. Yep. All right. So Stanley Johnson's points per shot attempt percentile throughout the years. And granted, he's been bouncing around the league. He's struggled to find a place. 
ninth percentile rookie year, third percentile, 14th percentile, 17th percentile, third, 13th percentile, fourth percentile, 18th percentile points per shot attempt. And then this year, 80th percentile, 118.2 per hundred shot attempts. So it's just, it's, he's getting good shots. good shots. Yeah, that's just all I'm trying to say is that despite maybe not having some of the NBA skill or talent to create his own shot in certain areas where he was given that opportunity on some worse teams, worse uh, situations, he is not shooting well from three, but yet he's still, you know, getting good looks. And if that mm-hmm. number can come up to a reasonable 30, 31%, the defense might be worth it. I don't know. What do you think? I agree with that. He's in a unique situation. And, and this is kind of the lens that in which, through which we are often analyzing guys. And when Tim is going bargain bin hunting and, and I'm pitching specific players, it's often because with this specific Lakers group, there are guys that may be limited in, in, in certain ways that hurt them on other teams. But with us, they just need to be a stationary shooter and just catch and shoot like high quality threes and then play good defense and you, and you can succeed. And we're seeing that with Stanley Johnson, even though he's not really performing all that well on his threes, his three point shot quality on this Lakers team is in the 71st percentile. That's the same level as Wayne Ellington. Uh, it is a little bit below where Austin Reeves is in the 80th percentile. And then Russ and Avery Bradley are in the 98th percentile each. They're both like way, way up there. Um, but he's, I mean, stationary shooter is his offensive archetype. That's exactly what you want him doing. He's, he's not someone you want doing any more than that with the other players you have on the court. And, you know, it's, he's playing good defense and and that's really what it comes down to. He needs to be able to hit some more of these threes. Uh, he's getting the quality. He's got to hit just a little bit better. Um, but if he can hit 33% on his threes and play good defense, like that's a positive just because positionally, he is filling a role that the Lakers don't have enough of defensively. So it's, you, you just have to be good enough. The bar's a little bit lower. You just need to be good enough to be able to, to be a value add, just given the scarcity mm-hmm. on this team. All right. Uh, let's take a quick break and then uh, we'll come back and talk a, a little bit more about a couple of the guys who've been playing pretty well lately. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, and we're back. I'd be remiss to not talk a little bit, Tim, about the month, yeah, three weeks that Malik Monk has had. So since Christmas, he has been 15 plus or, or more every game except the last one uh, against Memphis. Uh, and shooting efficiently as well. Eight for 12, seven for 14, six for nine, five for 10, eight for 14, you know, putting up threes, two threes in every single game, except the Memphis game. So part of me, a part of what I see in his success is, is how he is built chemistry with LeBron in these small lineups, the ghost screen action, um, just finding cuts where Russ is looking for him. It's, it's really it's just go screens. But and I was gonna say it, it's a <laughs> it's little really bit Russ kind of cutting off of Russ when Russ gets drives and gets in trouble and then he'll that's peel true. off go in the other direction. Mm-hmm. So that's gotten a little bit better too, just like raw chemistry of how can I help? Uh, Russ is driving into nothing. Let me peel off of him and get a layup. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's that go screen action with LeBron, right? That that should still be a feather in your cap when AD returns, right? That that doesn't change things. If anything, it gives you a better opportunity to get the offensive rebound with AD on the weak side post or, you know. Um, I'm not sure that it in either way will impact the ghost screens all that much because I think like you can still run them with AD out there. And, and the fact that this group with Ellington out of the rotation as he currently is doesn't have anyone else that you feel most like all that comfortable running this other than like, we've seen them use it with Reeves a little bit, but with, with Russ, with Reeves, with Avery Bradley, with THT, they'll run inverted ball screens, but they're looking to like short roll. And if there is a show and recover screen coverage from the defense with two guys temporarily on LeBron, he's looking to make the pocket pass and have them catch the ball one dribble away from the rim and either you know, get a layup or dump it off to somebody or kick it out for a three. With Monk, he is really the one guy, and then maybe Reeves, that you feel good about setting that screen, slipping that screen into like a pop, and then catching, you know, getting getting your puppies in order um, and, and, and putting up a three with your body contorting a little bit. And we've seen Malik Monk, he, he has 27 points this year off of those ghost screening actions. And... Like that's, that's a lot. That's more than he has in ISO the whole year. It's he has 18 points cutting the whole year. Uh, he's been a really efficient off screen shooter as well. Like he has been such a big beneficiary of the ghost screen action. And then the Lakers running real set plays because he has been an average spot up score, but it's been those like, we're going to run a set or we're going to run a specific action. And you know, use other players' gravity and, and use good screening and smart concepts. Malik Bunk's been a big beneficiary of that. And then on top of that, his three-point shot making this season has been better than anyone on the team other than Carmelo Anthony and LeBron James. Like 87th percentile, he's been like a legit three-point shooter. So that, to me, it's it's good performance plus great usage, and we're seeing the results. 
And that to me isn't something that just like goes away when AD comes back. So I'm not I'm not worried about that. I think it's a great fit. I just you just need to keep seeing that smart usage happen and we'll keep seeing good results from Monk. I'm sure I'm sure he'll fluctuate like everybody does with a lot of these shots being threes game by game, but you know, big picture, he's performing really well and he hasn't been all that great finishing at the rim. Lately it's been a little bit better. Um but that's okay. Like he's he's making the right plays and defensively he's been he's been pretty solid. And actually I think on this season overall his like field goal percentage at the rim is pretty good, but it's been a lot of really high quality looks. Um oh, but man. defensively I think is really where like he he's he's at the point now where I'm not concerned about him being played off the sport. Yeah, he's playable. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a huge difference because if you take him off this team and you assume you know same thing with Ellington defensively, you have no go screeners. Unless Austin Reeves is the only guy you're, you're using that with. And, and I st- like, I think that's somewhere he can get to. Uh, I'd love to see like his footwork is just a, a tad behind where Monks is in that specific action. But like, he's such a smart player and he's growing and he's a young kid and, and he'll get there. But right now it's good to have someone who like the team knows they can rely on in that action and then have Reeves as another off screen or, or just off ball shooter as well. So Monks important on, both ends of the court and the fact that his defense has gotten to where it has really enables him to, to be the player he is right now. I was going to say, okay, I was going to add this and maybe this is bigger. This was, this is bigger factor than I thought, but being another guy to be able to get a shot in late shot clock situations. And then Tim, I looked up the, the synergy data on it right now. So, okay. It's just for context, 67.8% of the time he's taking a jump shot. On his jump shots, he has 201 points on 175 possessions. Good for 1.149 in the 86th percentile. This is Monk. Who's our? How many? Wait, hang on. So walk me through that again. He has 201 points on 175 possessions jump shooting. Okay. Awesome. 86th percentile. 1.149. Okay. This is wild. This is a lot higher than I thought it would be. You know how many points and possessions he has with the shot clock under four seconds? He has. I have his synergy page up in front of me, so I'm not going to answer this. He has 41 points on 39 possessions Mm -hmm. with the shot clock under four seconds. That's incredible. To have that level of efficiency in a bailout shot, that's probably not a great shot. It's probably a guarded, you know, pull-up three, which I feel like he's been nailing lately. Um, that's really impressive. 84th percentile. I it was just, I was thinking like, oh yeah, he's also another guy who can bail out some possessions um and and get a decent look. It, and his his numbers shooting is great, whether he's guarded or not guarded. 91st percentile guarded, 76th percentile unguarded on catch and shoots. Um, this is a little different. We're talking kind of spot ups, you know, off the dribbles. Um, but man, yeah, having a guy like that to get a good three-point shot in late shot clock situations, Lakers haven't had a guy like that outside of LeBron. Yep. And and you'll notice too that a lot of that, like, what is that? Uh yeah, 131 catch and shoot attempts a lot of that is is it's not just like it's it's not isolating like it's it's him creating off of an advantage so it's the lakers generating something kicking it out and then whether it's him catching and shooting or or, you know dribbling to the side and then shooting 
he's able to extend and take advantage of what was created for him. As an isolation player, he's had he's got 21 points on the season and uh, with under four seconds on the shot clock, 11 points. But he's he's got 11 points and 11 possessions, so still really good. Um, but it's it's been just someone that's just done such a good job at finishing possessions on a team that like last season, think about in the playoffs, we had so many great opportunities created for guys. And then they just like completely fumble the bag on, on these like just great shot quality or even if it was like a little bit contested, it wasn't going in in, in Malik Monk. Isn't that way this year, him and Mello have been the two guys that like, I, I feel really good about kicking out to them. No matter if there's three seconds or 10 seconds left on the shot clock. Yeah, no, he's been crucial in uh, keeping the ship afloat with AD out. Um, I hope it continues, but a little bit of regression is, you know, not won't won't shock me. Um, Tim, I'm not gonna lie, I'm dying here, man. I'm <laughs> coughing every other minute, kind of getting over an illness right now. I know you're not feeling great, haven't been gotten the booster, so I don't know. I'm gonna open it up to you. Anything you want to go off with, but. Uh, I'm a little dying here. Sorry, y'all. We might keep sure. this one short today, but uh, talk to me, my guy. What you got? I'll monologue a little bit. I I think so. Russell Westbrook has been playing great recently, but I am less worried about him struggling in the playoffs than I think others are. And I understand why they're concerned. And we've seen him in situation after situation once he gets to the playoffs drop off and it's not just a narrative thing like go look at his look at his data look at uh the free app we have a b-ball index um that looks at players play types year by year regular season playoffs you can see how russell westbrook once he's gotten to the playoffs like his pick and roll shooting drops off a cliff like his isolating isolation scoring isn't isn't as good and projecting forward if this team is to be what we're hoping they can be which is really what this is all about like how do we avoid that that drop off? Because if that drop off is going to happen, this team, I don't know if it's it's good enough to to make any sort of real title run. Um, and looking at why that drop off has happened, I've I think I've pinpointed it to a few things, and none of it's really groundbreaking. But I think it's important to be able to like identify it and call it out, and then really talk through, you know, what it is and how the Lakers are approaching it. It's the fact that in pick and roll situations. Defenses are going under his ball screens. And we've seen that team after team he's been on. And, and you see that, like, I was able to get my hands on some of the second spectrum data. And it's he's he's one of the guys towards the top of the league in the regular season at defenses going under ball screens. And then once he gets to the playoffs, it, like, spikes. Like, nobody's going over a ball screen on him. It's, you know, we're going to give you this pull-up jumper. And he he just goes with that. Or he forces something and it's not there and it's not successful. And in previous teams, he's been a top option on the team. So like he's, you know, he's at the top of that pecking order. That's it's OK for him to take that shot or, it, you know, it's better for him to take that shot than to go kick it out and, and, and have. I can't name a Wizards player. Go do, go do something. Um, and that's something that we've seen on this Lakers team. We saw it early in the season we saw him struggle on ball screens and his ball screen efficiency was really, really low. And he has gotten to the point where, and I'm hoping this is as good as it was a couple days ago. Oh yeah. He's in the 45th percentile as a pick and roll scorer, which doesn't seem impressive. It's not at high efficiency. Uh, About you know, passes. Among, uh, once you include the passes, he's in the 61st percentile. 
But as a better ball handler score, yeah, yeah, and it better be better. Um, you, you want it to be better for sure once you include the passing, and that's really a good way to evaluate it. But even as a score, like earlier in the season, he was in like the teens, and that's not good. That's not acceptable. And that was because defenses were going under ball screens, and it was like crap. You know, if anything, this should be better than it than it'll be in the playoffs because teams will be more focused on game plans in the playoffs, and they'll go under screens more. Then we saw the Lakers switch their screen angles. And we've been talking about it. Frank Vogel's been talking about it. Uh, Russell Westbrook's been talking about it. LeBron has talked about it in post games. Like they're talking about it. It's happening. We're seeing it. It's like a real thing, and it's made a huge difference for him. He's been much more efficient as a pick and roll scorer. And it's it's all about getting that screen to be in a north south screening angle rather than side to side because you can't go under those north south ones. And as long as the Lakers continue doing that, come playoff time. What are you going to do? Like, I don't see that being something that you can suddenly go underneath because it's the playoffs. Like, so that to me is proactively addressing and solving something really because they had to do it now. It wasn't like doing the the homework way ahead of time. Like they needed to figure this out because teams were already exploiting it. The book was out and they fixed it. And it's not great. It's not perfect. He still has limitations, but it's to the point where it's workable. And it's to the point where whatever level it's at by season's end, we shouldn't suddenly see a big drop off, you know, just because it's the playoffs. And that gives me some comfort. And then the other piece of this is teams being able to just help off of him as an off ball player, which perfect example, the Lakers against the Rockets, what, two seasons ago, where Anthony Davis was guarding Russell Westbrook for much of that playoff series. and. He just kind of ignored him, (laughs) like just left him alone and went around and screwed up other things the Rockets were trying to do. And to many people, that is something you point at. You say, oh, this guy's broken. This can't work. You know, okay, the Lakers can win their games in the regular season, but come playoff time, it's not going to work. And I think that's like we can be better than that. We've seen already the Lakers be better than that. And I think. That Houston series was more poor coaching, and we've seen some other situations with not great use of Russ. Uh, whereas with the Lakers, like they've already found the right ways to approach this, and we're seeing him screen for real shooters. If like if you sag off of him, Malik Monk or Carmelo Anthony standing next to him, he'll go screen for them. And then instead of just saying, "Oh well, you left me alone," I guess I have to shoot the three. It's okay. I'm going to go create a three for my teammate who's really good at hitting threes. Pin in flare screens, hammer flare screens, pin downs, whatever it happens to be, that's like a real solution. Um, giving him the ball really quickly. And then instead of him shooting that three, having him quickly dribble into like a dribble handoff situation where instead of having the second defender there to contain the ball handler turning the corner, it's now a 2v1 for the offense. Like that's another advantageous thing for the Lakers. Another thing we talked about on this podcast, another thing the Lakers a couple weeks later did. Um, we're seeing him set ball screens. It hasn't happened as much recently. I'd love to see more of it. But when he's setting ball screens, you can't just ignore him. You you have to continue, you know, guarding the the ball screen as the ball screen. Um, and this wasn't something that could work with Harden and Russ because there are two guards. You just switch it with Russ and LeBron. If you switch it, there's a mismatch generated there, and then you go attack it. If you don't switch it with an inverted ball screen, you're going to run that show and recover. And the way the Lakers will attack that with Monk is the ghost screen where he's shooting a three. The way they'll attack it with Russ and some other guys is he'll short roll. You you get that pocket pass to Russ and 
he's catching like below the free throw line, one dribble and then flush yeah. it, or one dribble or that's throw a to AD, or one yeah. dribble kick it out to Melo in the corner. That's good basketball, and that's stuff that carries over to the playoffs. That's not something you magically saw. Like you can do a lot of creative things in basketball. It's really hard to be creative when you're down three v two or two v one, and that is what the Lakers are able to create with with attacking that kind of way. So like. There's more, and in, in, in I won't dig into every single one of these options, but like these are real solutions to an issue that Russ has had in the past that we've seen him have on this team this season, and we've seen the Lakers address this season in ways that have worked, that have tangibly improved the way he fits in with other guys and, and negate some of his, his poor spacing. And the Lakers are at a point where like whether it's Russ or DeAndre or Dwight or AD, like they're doing smart things or THT, they're doing smart with things with them off the ball to exploit it if you try to sack off of them. And then they're also doing things to prevent it, such as stick them in the dunker spot. You can't leave, you can't go guard the opposite wing at the three-point line and leave a guy next to the rim open. Um, so he's not, he hasn't been, you know, a great dump-off finisher. He's not a great put back guy. He's, you know, not a perfect fit for the dunker spot. But by putting him there, you make it so that the defense can't leave him alone. And you're, you're telling the defense who they're going to have as their rotational defender guarding the rim. So if Braun drives on the other mm-hmm. side of the court, the help defense won't be a seven-foot center. It's going to be whoever the hell was guarding Russell Westbrook. I mean, they so can the playoffs, just put the seven-foot center. Just, exactly. We might see them switch on the center on yeah. And then you have to go to the other options. That's but why then it's someone not else, the end-all be-all, and, you and could I find, don't think you can yeah. just pitch it as this perfect solution because it's it's not. It's again, that's just kind of playing checkers, but it has to be one of the options that you use. And if you can steal three to five possessions in the playoffs using that, go for it. Yeah. And it's going to work more in the regular season because teams aren't going to be doing that kind of switching. So so use it. But uh, that's a really good call out by you. That like, I, yeah. But yeah. then you can find other mismatches, other places and other actions mm-hmm. that can manipulate that Russ having a center on him and, you know, go down the adjustment tree and figure something else out. But exactly. I, I appreciate your pragmatic optimism on Russell Westbrook. It's um, not hope. That's the thing. It's not hope. It's like we've seen it. They're doing it right. right. Now. <laughs> but but the thing I I remain slightly more skeptical just because um, like, how do you quantify Russ Wilden? Like Russ might be the most unpredictable player from game to game, from week to week, right. That I've ever seen on the Lakers as far as can, you know, consistency and just like doing the same thing that works. And then I'm going to shoot a bank off of the corner of the glass because that's my shot. But today I'm off and you're not going to know it until it's already too late. So that's why it's so like you can be as pragmatic mm-hmm. as you want about Russell Westbrook, Tim, and, <laughs> and then Russ just wilds out. And then what do you do? Yeah, that's that's the thing is like he ultimately holds the cards. It, like if he doesn't want to do something, which I don't necessarily think is the case. I, I think ultimately no. if we get to the point where in a playoff series, Russ is shooting you out of the game in this kind of way especially on this team where like he's not the top option. He's not the number two option. In many lineups, he's, he's not the, the first or second choice. Um, he may have the ball in his hands a lot, but he's not going to be like, you're not drawing up these plays for Russ to just, you know, go, go figure things out by himself. And he's still going to do some of that. And 
ultimately, I don't think he's going to cut it out. You just hope that he can limit it. Um, and, and at the end of the day, if he's not hitting shots at the rim, like, I, again, like, you kind of screwed, but that's not a, a sudden, like, playoff problem. That's just a yeah. generic Russ thing. Um, but you you bring up a good point, and I, this may be a cop-out, but I think if you reach that point, whether it's Russ taking stupid, like, high volumes of really bad shots, or, it, like, more than just the normal rust tax, which is what I've been calling it. Like, he's going to make some great plays. He's going to play make pretty mm-hmm. well. He's going to, like, he's operating well within sets. He's setting good screens. Like, he's doing a lot well. But then, you know, 10% of the time, he's, you, you got to pay the rust tax. And you got to, you know, pay the piper and let him take dumb shots. If he's doing a lot more of that, or, for example, Anthony Davis isn't setting any good screens. And he's trying to be a jump shooter. And, like, he's doing stuff you don't like to see him doing. Right. In either of those scenarios, that's accountability. That's culture. That's that's team leadership. And it doesn't need to be just the coaching staff. It's the team and the coaching staff. It's yeah. got to be like LeBron's got to work. And, and it's not LeBron having coaching meetings with Frank Vogel to say, how do we fix Russ? It's like from both sides of it, this just needs to be a collective effort of like, if we are to get where we need to be, Here's how we need to play basketball. You're going to get your points. You're going to get your rebounds. You're going to get your assists. It's about the team, though. It, like, we need to win. And that's re- like at the end of the day, we care more about the title than we do about individual accolades. And if you can't get guys to buy in, you're not going to be a title team. Yeah. No matter you know which of these stars is playing in a way that we don't want them to be playing. So I, I think we might see that. And if we do, it stinks. But if we do... We know pretty definitively this team wasn't going to really get anywhere because if that's allowed to happen, there are other deeper problems that were going to pop up before you you win the finals anyway. Right. So it, it, it stinks and I hope we don't get to that point. I, I think the team has that strong culture that they can kind of get that into gear. And we've seen, and it's been interesting, towards the end of games, we've seen more and more where it's just like all of a sudden everything slows down. And Braun's got the ball and it's play after play after play. They just are running ghost screen after ghost screen or like specific things where all of a sudden the Lakers are just like throwing their A plus pitches batter after batter after batter when the game's on the line. Come playoff time, if they can do that in longer stretches, it doesn't necessarily have to be Braun every single time, but but just being more focused in the moment in terms of how we want to attack, this team can get to, to where they want to get. So I don't know. I, I I think it's a mix of the fact that Russ doesn't need to force up those shots because he's not the top option or even the second option in a lot of lineups. Plus the accountability that that we've seen really work with LeBron and AD in the past. Mm-hmm. All right, man. So let's get out of here real quick before we do. I agree with all of that, by the way. It's just kind of a, a, a nature of discipline. Like I think this Lakers team has the ability to be a very good team, but their margin of error is smaller than it ever has been in the last mm-hmm. like LeBron AD era. So, so that's good to know. Uh, just comes down to the discipline of the team executing and staying on the same page and that commitment to it. But um, we're going to get out of here before we go. I know you had a little quick story you wanted to tell to, to the, to the listeners. I don't know this story. So you just told me that you'd been doing a lot of driving lately and uh yeah so i'm gonna open it up to you here my guy at the end of this pod and uh and then we'll close it out yeah okay so i I don't know how to frame this so so i guess every every generation has 
you know, every generation has this opportunity to leave its mark on the world and, and, you know, computers or we went to the moon or, or things like that. I found a taco place and it's not just me. This is something that I've, I've confirmed independently confirmed through others. Uh, is just, it's special. It has a special cheese. It's, it's from upstate New York. Um, had an internship up there a little while back and, and, you know, when, and it was absolutely fantastic. And unlike any other cheese I've ever had on a taco and, and, you know, keep in mind, I live in Texas. <laughs> so like we've got, it's not like where I used to live up North where it was like, Oh, that's the Mexican restaurant. No, we've got like six Mexican restaurants on, on every, every mile and a half of main road. So there are a lot of real, like there's fantastic Tex-Mex, fantastic Mexican cuisine, but it's never had this cheese. So recently over, over the holidays, my fiance and I drove up all the way from Texas because we wanted to bring our dogs with us. Didn't want to have them, uh, didn't really, couldn't really fly with them and didn't want to have them washed by someone for, for weeks and weeks since it was going to be a long trip. So we drove from Texas all the way to my family, to her family. And then from her family, we did a five-hour round trip to get about two hours from Canada. So we went all the way from Texas to almost Canada and all the way to this little taco shop. It doesn't even have like the fanciest tacos. They're not the best tacos. It's pretty standard tacos. But we get there and we have the cheese and it's just that perfect cheese that, that we were hoping for. And we like call the guy over, I, I guess that whoever was waiting on us, he, he appeared to be the proprietor. And we, we told him our story. I was like, sir, like, we need to know like what this is. This has changed our lives. Our friends know about this. I've like talked to others about this who have lived up here. They know about the cheese. I, I don't, I need to know what cheese this is. And he was like, oh my gosh, like, that's such a crazy story. Like, so happy to have you that he like called the chef over and they like gave us a tub of cheese to bring home with us. Um, and, and, and our plan still is to like, like we put it on ice and like drove it all the way back to Texas from almost Canada. And we're going to go to the Mexican store down here or the Mexican grocery store, buy all the cheese of the same type and try to figure out the right brand. And he tells us the cheese that you drove all this way for was a Mexican brand of white American cheese. I'm serious. Tacos. I'm serious. And, and I, it, it's not like a craft single or something like it's it's like a specific like Mexican brand of it. But I just had never had it on tacos before. So it was just this unique flavor that really changed the game for us, but was quite disappointing to drive across the continental U.S. to, to discover. Oh, my God. That might be the <laughs> so widest thing the right brand, I said. It's it, it was a big it was a big long journey for Okay, for, I, I still think a good payoff. Like it's still really good. It's just and it, and it's again, it's not just like some generic cheese. Like it tastes so it tastes different from just normal white American. So so, but but still, the California like, boy in me is like, okay. I have some follow up questions. I'm trying to get out of here because my voice is killing me. But I have to ask: Was it the cheese melted or not? It was not melted. No, it was, okay. it was shredded. shredded. Each little shred, you can see like little. Uh, almost like little, Peppers? almost looked like a Swiss cheese where oh, okay. there were like little holes in it. Okay, I'm not describing cheese well, but it was okay. It's good. Was the cheese the star of the taco? Yes. Yes. Okay, that's not a good taco. The taco wasn't. The taco itself was not a fantastic taco, but the cheese was incredible, and I wanted to apply that cheese 
two much better tacos that we could make here. Okay. And wow. that, you know, that sentence on its own isn't a great indicator if, if you can, if you think you can make better tacos, but tacos about the protein, baby, you get some al pastor, some carnitas, some carne mm. asada, but cheese, Tim, the cheese is so good, Tom. And it was like, unlike any other cheese we'd had, it's, it's like, what, is, what cheese is this? Is it, we, we literally had gone to the Mexican store and bought like all these different Mexican cheeses and we're trying them. And it was like, no, 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 no. This is like a multi-year thing too. This isn't this oh isn't like God. over the course of one summer. This was for years. We would just reference this cheese and know exactly what each other meant, and and be on this constant hunt for it, and send each other pictures of us eating tacos just in search of this cheese. Wow! Just just to find white American. Well, I'm happy for you that you figured it out. I would say do better, be better, have higher standards for tacos. You know. I, I don't know. I, I do live in Texas. Like there's some really well, good tacos down here, like better tacos down here. Okay. Just the cheese itself was, you know, I'd love to have that tool in, in the toolbox. Okay. Okay. Sure. I can, yeah, I can see and I can hear you disappointed. I just like a good taco doesn't need any cheese. I've had really good tacos without cheese. Like a cheese is like a, a like not a top five taco ingredient, Ayabo. Really? No. Oh, I don't know if I agree with that. You got onions, you I got mean, cilantro, you got protein, you got pico de gallo, you got a lime uh, juice drizzle. You're gonna put the pico de are you gonna put cilantro in, in lime juice above cheese? Absolutely. Yes. Oh. Cheese? Eat a quesadilla, you fucking white boy. <laughs> Don't quesadillas have... Oh, that's what you're saying. <laughs> yes, quesadillas have cheese. Please, please. I, I need the listeners to back me up on this. Cheese is a top five taco. Leave us a five-star review with your top five hashtag, taco ingredients. No, 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 no. Don't even... Well, yes, do that. <laughs> also, just don't even add us. Just get... Well, actually, add us would probably be a good idea because I'm not going to monitor this all the time, but hashtag white American and then... And no, then do not us. hashtag that. <laughs> not enough context. Do not, I repeat, do not hashtag white American the the cheese. Wait, hang on. Let me, let me try. That. Okay. Then add white American cheese. You white can't just hashtag American. white American. Get the proud boys all up on us. The Miami heat is the, is that podcast after us again? Oh no. Oh yeah. Okay. Never mind. Yeah. Don't use that hashtag. <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to monitor this one. This one. Oh dear lord. Well, I'm glad you had a good taco adventure. I mean, again, I would just I, you got to come visit California. I'm not saying we have the best tacos, but you can go into a place if they've got like someone's grandma on the back making tortillas and and they've got like their menu on a whiteboard and they're cash only. Like that's the spot you go to. Food trucks. If, if they have. If they have Spanish TV on, like, yeah, check. Yes. If you can get it <laughs> on Postmates, not worth a damn. Right. There's a really good place here in Texas that, like, doesn't show up on maps and has really poor signage. Like, That's it's it. like you would never otherwise yeah. find it unless you knew where it was. That's the spot you want to get tacos from. 100%. Best. Yeah. So I guess yep. add us. That's your homework, listeners. Add us with your top five taco ingredients and, uh, I will feel vindicated. Cheese is not a top five taco ingredient. 
at me. What about Laker White American? No one's ever used hashtag Laker White American. Why get past the White American, Tim? It's not about the word that. needs to get out. The word needs to get out. Oh my god. Okay, I guess we'll leave it there. Leave us a five star review on Apple. Uh, Spotify now has reviews, which is awesome. You can screenshot that and we can get you to that Lakers discord where pretty soon we'll be dropping some details about some exciting stuff going on over there. We should probably drop the details. <laughs> drop the details soon. We'll, we'll do that on the next pod once I have my notes up in front of me, but we've got some really stuff. Really exciting stuff going on in there. If you're in the Discord, you already know about it. Um, we've already got people figuring themselves out and, and we've got events scheduled and all that stuff. Um, we've, we've got good things going on there. Lots of really good content. We've gotten a really good influx of members of that community lately and just great enriching conversation. So come join us. Have some fun. Uh, Harrison was in there today. Um, and we have one channel where we, we kind of... Uh, very, you know, very politely discuss the usage of stats in different ways by certain individuals. Um, and, and he's made it a point that he he wants to tweet something out that puts him on that page as well. So oh, no. look out for some exciting poor usage of, of math. It sounds like a blacklist. In the near future. Oh, no, it's not. It's, it's a very fun, uh, very jovial channel. We also figured out how to play music in there. So we've got like a DJ now. It's great, Tom. Oh, my God. Things are things are moving. I can't keep track of you. All right, y'all. We appreciate you. And uh, until next time, uh, we'll talk to you guys later. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens. And that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com